Well, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Proverbs as we get into God's Word together and uh, begin a series in the Proverbs. Um, Proverbs chapter 1 is where we're going to begin. I guess that makes sense for Proverbs, although there's a lot of topics to be talked about in this book. You know, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, the Apostle Paul talks about how the world looks at what we believe. And the world sees the cross as foolishness. The world thinks they have wisdom, but they do not know God. And so uh, they do not have wisdom, but they think our wisdom is foolish. God says what they think is wisdom is foolish. I'll go with what God says. Andy Stanley uh, wrote a book called The Best Question Ever. And he builds a case for it, but then he says that the best question ever is what is the wise thing to do? And he then kind of fleshes that out and and gives three follow-up questions. Uh, In light of my past experience, what is the wise thing for me to do? In light of my current circumstances, what is the wise thing for me to do? And in light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? So as a pastor, when I ask people how I can pray for them, often I get back, man, pray for wisdom about this or that. I I got a text this morning from a friend who's a pastor in Colorado, and he said, please pray for wisdom for me about when to say yes, when to say no to the opportunities that I have in front of me. Andy Stanley goes on to say that your greatest regret could have probably been avoided had you asked the best question ever and then acted on your conclusion. So as we begin Proverbs, we need to set it in the context. That's an important thing for us to do here. Um, There are different types of biblical literature uh, in the Old Testament. So you have them broken out there on your outline, but um, a law is a command that we are to always obey. The, The great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, is a law. That's a commandment. A promise is something that is guaranteed to always be true. Uh, The promise of Hebrews 13.5 where God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. That is a promise that we can cling to all the time. Proverbs are a compact uh, sentence of carefully chosen words about the way that our, the way things actually are, uh, so that hopefully our behavior changes. We interpret Proverbs, though, differently than we interpret a command or a law or a promise. There are some dangers that we need to keep in mind, and the dangers that are easy to fall into when you read Proverbs, and these happen when we forget that Proverbs is a unique type of literature. One of the dangers, and you've got these on your outline, is legalism. And just a kind of a definition you've got there, depending on the keeping of the law for one's salvation. That's not how we're saved. Or another danger is moralism. 
thinking wrongly that we can justify ourselves before God through our moral lifestyle. Uh, And then the next thing you have on your outline is this, being saved does not depend on you. That's legalism or moralism in particular about Proverbs. It's all about Jesus. It's having a relationship with God. Your salvation is only because Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. To pay the penalty that we owed. He's doing it for us. Jesus is not just about following an example about how to live our lives in a good moral way. God does not want you to primarily just follow Jesus' example. He wants Jesus to be your savior. He wants Jesus to be your Lord. The book of Proverbs is attributed to Solomon. But Proverbs is made up of of wise sayings that he collected. We know some of them are not by Solomon. Um, So, again, we could say that the book is really divided into two parts. And you have those on your outline. Chapters 1 through 9 are longer sayings. Um, They kind of lay out the theological foundation, the source of our wisdom, if you will. The fear of God, primarily, and then having a right relationship with God. Uh, And then from chapter 10 on, we have shorter sayings, or again, these highly compressed chosen words that are carefully chosen about the way things are. So again, that our behavior changes. So you have in front of you an outline of the book as well, a more detailed outline. So the purpose of Proverbs is really found in verses 2 through 6. We're going to read 1 through 7. But pay special attention to uh, the, the book's purposes. So let's begin reading Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, let the wise listen and add, their, and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables and sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord, verse 7, is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is God's word. God's word for us today. So in verse 1, Solomon tells us, and this is number 1 on your outline, that wisdom is royal. It is the the first thing that we should ask for in that sense. But it's also royal in that these are the, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, the king of Israel. So kings want to rule with wisdom. Solomon prayed in 1 Kings, uh, give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? So Solomon is asking for wisdom in leading God's people in order to bring harmony in the kingdom. Because if you want wise people, you have to have a wise king. If you have a wise king, you will have wise people. And then in verse 2, Solomon gives us one of the purposes of wisdom. 
So wisdom is for gaining instruction and understanding. Again, verse 2, for gaining wisdom and instruction for understanding words of insight. So wisdom helps us know what's going on around us. We should be, always be observing what's going on around us. Uh, part of that means that we have the humility to realize we don't know everything. In fact, it's the person who thinks they know it all that God calls a fool. Another purpose of wisdom, number three on your outline, is that wisdom is the knowledge of good and evil. For receiving instruction in prudent behavior, verse three, doing what is right and just and fair. So Solomon says that biblical wisdom wisdom isn't just having a high IQ. I think we all know people who are very smart, but they're not wise. So you don't have to be smart to be wise. You can be smart and wise, hopefully you are. But Proverbs 2.6 says that wisdom comes from the mouth of God. And so we submit to the word of God. That's the foundation for wisdom. It's not what we think is right in our own mind. Um, <clears throat> we find all kinds of ways to avoid obeying God's word. Uh, we do what we want to do. People say, well, I know that God says to do this or that, but I also think that God wants me to be happy, and so I'm not going to do what God says. I'm going to do what I say. We all want to be our own boss. Uh, and the Bible calls that person a fool. The next purpose for wisdom is that wisdom is for discernment. That's number four. For giving, verse four, for giving prudence to those who are simple knowledge and discretion to the young. So discretion is discernment in some translations, but wisdom is the ability to read a situation and then make the right decision. Uh, Solomon wants to give discernment, especially to those who are inexperienced, to the youth. Uh, Someone said that you should learn from your mistakes, of course, we should do that, but we shouldn't learn everything from our mistakes. Hopefully we can learn some things from the mistakes of other people. And that will save us maybe from walking through some minefields on our own. Another purpose of wisdom is that wisdom is getting guidance. That's number five in verses five and six. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. So those who are truly wise will have the humility to know that they need to listen to counsel, that they need the the input of the godly people around them who love them and and care for them. Uh, Wisdom isn't a goal to attain. It's a pursuit that lasts our entire lives. We never end the pursuit of wisdom in our lives. And how do you get wisdom? Wisdom. Well, verse 7, which is number 6 on your outline, you get wisdom from an ever-deepening relationship with the Lord. This is really the thesis of the entire book of Proverbs. If you want to memorize one verse in the Proverbs, um, memorize verse 7 of chapter 1. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. We talk, you know, you might hear somebody say, well, that person is a God-fearing person. Unfortunately, for the most part, when we hear that today, what someone is saying is simply that that person is a moral person. That's not what the book of Proverbs means. 
by being a God-fearing person. When we read this, we come to understand that the fear of the Lord, this reverence for God, it's actually the evidence of a personal covenant relationship with God, where we, we have a, a, a we know him personally. We spend time getting to know God regularly on a personal basis. And, and when we have this time alone with God, it's not just about learning about God. It's, that's part of it. But we also want to spend time getting to know God personally. So I've seen, I've seen books on business uh, just as I go into a bookstore and look around and they'll say, well, here's a book about business from Proverbs. And they'll give all these principles that you can learn from Proverbs, but they don't say anything about fearing the Lord. And we know that, that that's the most important thing, is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and, and wisdom. So the people who write these books, they don't talk anything about knowing God. They don't talk at all about how important that is for whatever kind of wisdom you're looking for in Proverbs. Uh, it, the, the, the bottom line fundamentally is, am I right with God? Uh, and, but the danger is that they'll say, well, I'm following biblical principles, and so I must be right with God. That's not true. Just because you're obedient doesn't mean that you know God. So the important thing is having a personal relationship with him. Do you know anyone who says that? That says, well, I'm, I'm following all the rules. I'm doing what the Bible says. I'm doing this and that. And so I'm, I'm, I'm right with God. I, I hope that's not any of us. That, that, that's, that's not what God wants from us. The book of Proverbs really has two main storylines. The, the first storyline is that of a wise son or a fool. Over and over again, we hear about them, Solomon writing to these two sons, don't be, the, don't be the fool, be the wise man. It's also the story of two women, Lady Wisdom, if you will, and, and Dame, uh, Dame Folly. Um, when we read the Proverbs, the way they're supposed to be read, it's not just about becoming a successful businessman or whatever. It's a matter of knowing God or not knowing God. Ultimately, that's what Proverbs points us to. It's a matter of, of being right with God or being an enemy of God. It's a matter of life and death. There are three truths in Proverbs that, uh, that, that we need to look at to understand Proverbs. Three, not from Proverbs, but three truths that we need to understand how to read Proverbs. So the first one we've already alluded to uh, and you've got this on your outline, is that we don't read wisdom literature as law, as a command. The book of Proverbs is not a book of commandments. It's not a book of promises. It's a book of wisdom literature. It's Proverbs. So let me give you an example. An example would be, if you eat a healthy diet, you will live longer. And that's generally true. But you can eat the healthiest of diets and never have anything that's unhealthy for your body. If you do that, if you eat that way, you will probably avoid certain diseases. But you can also walk out in the street and get hit by a bus. So 
eating a healthy life, living a healthy lifestyle will help you in certain ways. And if, as a general rule, that's going to help you live a better life. But it doesn't keep you from being hit by a bus and dying. So here's an example from the Proverbs. Proverbs 14:26 says, "He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and his children in it, and, and for his children it will be a refuge." So this is true. Uh, but does that mean that if something is going badly for a family, that, that they must not be fearing the Lord? No. It's not what it means. It's wisdom, generally speaking. This is the way things usually work. He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for his children it will be a refuge. Um, David Brainerd was a young, very godly man. He was a contemporary of Jonathan Edwards. And David Brainerd uh, was a picture of Christ's likeness. He was a, a godly young man, and yet his life was filled with heartache. It was filled with sickness and pain and even early death. Why? Uh, well, again, thinking of, this, of his life in the context of this proverb, this proverb is not a promise. And if you want that proved even further, just look at the life of Job. Job loved God and he had a relationship with God, but all kinds of bad things happened to Job. In fact, we really don't need to look any further than Jesus. He is the most righteous man, the tr truly the most righteous man who ever lived, and his life was filled with, with pain. He died on a cross. That's the, the cruelest way, the, the, the most inhumane way to die. I don't know if you've ever thought about this or looked into it, but, but I, I read a medical report from a doctor one time who described what happens when someone's crucified and they basically drown in their own fluid. It fills their lungs as they're suffering and it's a really cruel way to die. But Jesus is the truly, the truly righteous man. And he, he died young. I'll give you another example from Proverbs. And this is Proverbs 22.6. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That is not a promise. And I know many have claimed it as a promise. But if you treat it as a promise, then this is what it or a law, this is what it would mean. If you train your child correctly, they will end up godly. Therefore, if your child ends up godly, you get the credit. And if your child doesn't end up godly, you get the blame. And it's not the first time I've heard parents say, well, man, what did I do wrong? My, my child's not following the Lord. If your child, if you train your children correctly, um, parents who go through that, maybe your child is in a season or an extended season of, of living, if you will, on fool's hill. They're not following the Lord. They've denied it. They've walked away from it. And we immediately start beating ourselves up and saying, I just don't know what we did wrong. And I can speak, to, I can speak for all of us who are parents and say that on our best days, 
We are far from the perfect parent. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> we, we fail all the time, even on our best days. And so we don't beat ourselves up when our kids aren't following the Lord. And we don't rob God of his, for, of his glory by thinking that if our kids turn out great, it was because of us. It's because of the grace of God. It's because God draws them to himself. And so if you have godly children, thank God for your godly children. And if your children aren't following the Lord, then by all means, keep praying for them. God can do a miracle in their lives. So a proverb is not a promise. It's a principle. The second truth that we need to keep in mind if we're going to interpret the Proverbs well is that Christ is the wise son of Proverbs. Christ is the wise son of Proverbs. Colossians chapter two, verse three says, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. How many of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ? All of them, that's right. And if there's wisdom in Proverbs that's not found in Christ, it's not wisdom. In every proverb, we always point back to Christ as the ultimate fulfillment of that proverb because he is the source of all true wisdom. So here's an example from the Proverbs. Proverbs 12:18 says, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So what does that mean? Well, it means that we need to be wiser with our tongues. And how do we become wiser with our tongues? By being found in Christ, who is the wise son of Proverbs. And how do we get there? By working harder? No. We get there by Christ, by his righteousness, by, because he is the righteous, wise son of Proverbs, being formed in us so that we can become in him the righteousness of God. That's how we change what we say. That's how our words become different. We're changed from the inside when Christ is in us. We definitely don't get there by trying harder. And then finally, we use the New Testament to interpret the Old Testament. That's the last thing on your outline. We use the New Testament to interpret the Old Testament. Christ is the interpretive key of the entire Bible. So Genesis 3.15 is really the beginning point of God's redemptive history. <clears throat> well, I guess we could say it's Genesis 1. But Genesis 3 in verse 15, God is speaking to the serpent, and he says this in verse 15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. So <clears throat> Satan striking his heel is Satan putting all kinds of roadblocks, trying to, in front of Christ, which were unsuccessful. But what does Christ do? Christ crushes his head. How does he do that? It's through the resurrection, through Christ rising from the dead. So this is a promise in Genesis 3.15 of the Redeemer that is to come, and that's Jesus. 
So already in Genesis chapter 3, God is revealing his plan to defeat Satan and offer salvation to the world through Jesus. And the rest of the Bible is really all about that. It's all about the Redeemer coming. It's all about destroying the serpent and delivering us. So how does the New Testament interpret the Old Testament? How are we to use the New Testament to interpret Proverbs? Well, think of walking into a really dimly lit room. You, can, you have to kind of stay there for a little bit for your eyes to, to dilate so you can see even what's there. And what you see is all kinds of furniture, let's say. And let's say that furniture represents the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. So what is the New Testament using this analogy? The New Testament it would be like walking into that room and turning on the brightest of lights that allows us to see everything in that room clearly. And now we see it clearly because the lights are on. So in other words, we see the Old Testament clearly because we know that Christ is the Lamb of God. And so we read about the Lamb in the Old Testament and we go, oh, now we get it. That's pointing us to Jesus because he is the Lamb of God. That's, remember what John says in John 1 when he sees Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we see Jesus and so we, we look at the, at the Old Testament in light of the New Testament with the light that's on in the room. <clears throat> and now we go, oh, aha, that's what this means. It's pointing us ultimately to Christ. And so when we're reading Proverbs, why would I limit myself to a dimly lit room when I have a light to turn on and the New Testament to help me understand and take full advantage of interpreting the Proverbs and the Old Testament? So here's an example from the Proverbs. Proverbs 28.13, you've got it on your, on your outline. Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. So all of us know pretty much, I think, what this proverb means. It means that the cover-up is worse than the crime. It means that we should come clean and be honest because if we lie, we have to tell more lies and more lies and it just gets built up. And so concealing a transgression is not going to help us prosper. We need to confess it, be upfront about it, forsake it. So again, the Proverbs is written to my son, so I'll use that analogy. So I say to my son, son, you need to always tell the truth. Is that all I want from my son? No, it's not all I want from my son. I want him to know that his desire to cover up is rooted in his sinful nature and that acknowledging his sin is the only way to find salvation. It's the only way to become wise. It's the only way to to tell the truth all the time from from the heart. That's the better way. The way is, is the way of actual righteousness. So where does the New Testament shed light on that? Well, we could look at 1 John chapter 1. uh, When it says, if John writes, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all, all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Well, what is 1 John 1, 8 to 10 to that proverb? It's more light. 
that the light in the room has gone on. Now we see it from God's perspective. It's shed on that, on that passage in Proverbs 28. That's the difference between a moralistic approach to Proverbs and a gospel-centered, Christ-centered approach to Proverbs. And so when we come to Proverbs, it's ultimately a Christ-centered way of looking at the book. So one last question, if Christ is the wise son of Proverbs, who's the fool? Well, it's you and me, mainly you, but no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) It's you and me, I'm the fool, we're all the fools. The fool despises wisdom and instruction. Deep down, like we said earlier, we all want to be our own Lord. Deep down, we want to be the boss. That's what the Bible calls sin. And if there's anything in me that does not despise wisdom and instruction, that's the result of Christ being formed in me. And apart from that, I am the fool of Proverbs. If we read Proverbs that way, it will change the way we read and interpret the book of Proverbs. And if we get this, it will point us to Christ all along the way. It will remind us again and again of our, that our desperate need is not for moralism. That our desperate need is for us to be found in Christ. 1 Peter 3.18, it says, Christ died for sin once for all, the just for the unjust in order that he might bring us to God. That's what we need. Jesus to bring us to God. Or my favorite verse that I think sums up the gospel so beautifully, 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made Christ who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Wow, what an exchange. Christ takes our sin and we get his righteousness. Wow. That's glory. That's true wisdom right there to be found in Christ. So how are we to respond to all this? Well, the first response is that we need to unconditionally trust God. Are you living your life unconditionally trusting God? For your salvation, first of all. You know, think of it like this. The distance between the earth and sun is 92 million miles. If we let that 92 million miles be represented by the thickness of this worship folder, we would have a stack of worship folders 70 feet high to reach the nearest star. The sun is this far away from us, 92 million miles. So from earth to the next star is a stack of these 92 million miles, 70 feet high. If we were to talk about, uh, about our galaxy and the diameter just of the little galaxy that we live in, it would be a stack of these papers 310 miles high. Each paper representing 92 million miles. And the Bible says in Colossians 1 that Christ upholds all of this with his hand, with his power. 
his little pinky. He holds all that together. So is this the kind of God that you ask into your life to be your assistant? No. To be a consultant for you? Lord, I'll come to you when I have an issue and I need some help. Only then? No. Not at all. So how do you know? We, we, we are, what we do is we trust Christ. We acknowledge him in all of our ways. We, we, so here's how you can tell if you're unconditionally trusting God. Look at every area of your life and ask a couple questions. Number one, are you willing to do whatever God says in Scripture, whether you agree with it or not? If you say, yes, I'm willing to do it, even if I don't agree with it, then you're unconditionally trusting him. The second question is, are you willing to accept anything God sends into your life, anything that happens, whether you understand it or not? That's hard sometimes. I did a funeral yesterday for a four-year-old. That's pretty rough. A lot of people were asking questions. The best theological answer I could come up with as to why that happens, I don't know. But we receive that as a Christian. We don't understand it but we believe that God sends it, that God's sovereign. And we say, Lord, I, I don't understand it, but I, I, I know you're a good God. And I want to trust completely in you. But if we, if we respond no to those, then there's something else that you fear that's greater than God. What is that for you? What is it you fear other than God? So to trust him completely, it will impact every part of your life. It will alter your entire wisdom, if you will. And so the first step to gaining wisdom is having a personal relationship with God through Christ. That's what Proverbs is ultimately pointing us to. And then it, it turns us to worship. We're to worship God. It, it should impact, we see Jesus, the, the, the wisest person who ever lived, hanging on the cross, suffering for my sin, shedding his blood so that I could have forgiveness. And we think, okay, God, I praise you. I, I thank you for your love for me, that you loved me that much. And we look away from ourselves, and we look to Jesus and we keep looking there until our pride melts away. And we're humble. We humble ourselves before God and we worship him for who he is. And as we do that, we will begin to grow wise. And then finally, we, we need to, as a response, we need to read Proverbs. And so my invitation to you is, you know how many Proverbs there are? There are 31. 
And how many days of the month, of the longest months there are, is 31. And so for the next months, as we are in Proverbs, read a proverb a day and meditate on it as you read it. And so read it and, and uh, today, before you go to bed, read Proverbs 10 because today is September 10th. And do that every day. I, if you, I know people that have done that for years and they have a good, pretty good grasp on Proverbs because they've, they've spent time reading it daily. So I invite you to join me in reading Proverbs. And our goal is to become like Jesus. Our goal is wisdom. That most important question, the most important question in the world. What is the wise thing to do? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are so good. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy, your kindness toward us. Father, we thank you for your word and how it makes us wise, how Jesus makes us wise. And for the wisdom that we find in Proverbs that ultimately points us back to the wisdom we find in the person of Christ. By your grace, Lord, we pray that Christ might be formed in us. We pray that we would live in the forgiveness that is ours because of Jesus. And that this journey through Proverbs would make us more like him. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this is from Colossians. And uh, the Apostle Paul writes this, Remember what Christ taught and let his words enrich your lives and make you wise. Teach them to each other and sing them out in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing to the Lord with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, let it be as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Have a great day. And please take advantage of these folks up here and come and pray with whatever's on your heart.